0: This podcast is sponsored by Speakerbox Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.
1: Do you think that in the morning when he went to the bank, he goes, I'm going to take hostages. That's my mission and purpose. No, taking hostage, it may be something for they have to do in order to get what they really want. So what we need to learn is to find out what our counterparty really, really want.
0: Welcome to the B2B Growth Hacks podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. The craft of negotiation, building stronger agreements. Tell me how you approach this. Why negotiation? Let's just dive right in.
2: No, the, it's a craft. I mean, that's the. I love how you started with that, Sarah, because... Some people look at negotiation as an art form, and what we find is they tend to not have a system, they tend to not have a process, they tend to rely upon talent, and um, stop, maybe stop, some things they learned. Stop, stop,
1: stop, 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 the way to, the way to build the craft go. is all about just listening to podcasts, reading books and magazines, <laughs> and declaring yourself as a master, that's He's the craft. right,
2: just knowledge regurgitation, and you will be a master artist. Some people look at it as a science and they study the heck out of it. And they study and they acquire knowledge and and they try to learn more and more about it, but then they don't, sometimes those folks, sometimes they get trapped in that and they never actually do anything. We think it's a craft. We think it's a a mixture of both. You've got to study best practices, but you must learn by doing. And it's best to learn in a community or at least learn from people that have pretty accomplished at it. As most artists are, I mean, my stepbrother, who is a student of the arts would tell you like everybody uh, think of all the masters of all the different art forms and they studied with somebody that's what we what we do we approach it as a craft we've created an online community of crafts people and we offer coaching because um we've had uh, combined about 30 years of experience in a bunch of different disciplines and we think that's important we think experience matters we think also you have to be a student of your craft and you have to acquire knowledge. That's important too. But it's a blend. So, and we've we've met some really amazing people who are really gifted negotiators over the last year and change, year and a half um, online. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very it's very difficult to master any craft in isolation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. Why negotiation? of all the the studies that you guys could go into and topics that you could devote your lives to, why negotiation?
2: Mine was happenstance. I didn't want to be a negotiator, but I ended up on a police call where I had to negotiate with a woman who was going to jump off a building. And Mm. uh, fall in love is probably not the right term, but it it was the same emotional dynamic. It was like I hooked, Um, so that began a journey for me. And I've been a crisis negotiator, hostage negotiator for 12 years, roughly 12 years now. And the jump for me was in working with some companies here locally and finding out that they had a need for that. You talk about the importance of communication, Sarah. That's how it started. They're like, we, we have communication problems. So what I discovered was almost no firm, no organization or culture has communication problems. They have listening problems. because everybody's talking, there's, there's lots of noise. People are trying to get their, their point across, but nobody was engaging in the listening process. So that grew into negotiations for me is eventually people were like, well, how can I make money? You know, how, sales, development, uh, client service, scope management, scope and fee management on existing clients and contracts. And that's what led me to meet Alan as I began to explore my knowledge of that. Cause there's a big difference between police crisis negotiations and business negotiations.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love how much of a commitment you guys both have to the craft and how you're practicing it in different facets every day. I think it brings such a unique um, experience to, to the art and to the craft. Um, As we're talking about resilience, um, what do we all want in business? We all wanna last, right? We all wanna last the test of time, whether we're building a company to sell it or we're building a company to retire at, we wanna be um, in business a long time. And so part of that is uh, acquiring clients. So tell me a little bit about how you guys coach um, on the art of negotiation and how we can um, be better at acquiring clients.
2: Well, the first challenge is most people don't think acquiring clients is necessarily a negotiation. Um, A lot of people think there's a a pretty firm divide between sales and negotiation. A lot of it comes down to how you define negotiations and how you define sales. Um, For us, the entire process of making any strong agreement with someone is a negotiation. And that's a pretty good way to look at acquiring new clients because we wanna have strong agreements with our new clients. We want those, yeah, like you said, those relationships to be resilient and last a long time. We're gonna make mistakes in servicing accounts. It would be nice to have something really strong to fall back on when we make a mistake or when they make a mistake. There is such a thing as clients making mistakes. And it would be really nice to be able to make money with them with them, for years and years and years. So, uh, and honestly, the strength and resiliency of your relationships begins in the very, very beginning. And that's why we think the whole process is negotiable. So w- the way we look at new clients is uh, it's aligning our mission and values, our mission and purpose with theirs and seeing if there's a fit and if there is, seeing how well it fits and what's possible. And if, it's, if there's not a good fit, knowing that that's something you lay down and you fade away. So mm. for us, um, the discovery process is really critical in pursuing work and and let and when people pursue you to see if there's a good fit there to service service them help them with products and services alan you want to talk a little bit more about bias and discovery
1: um bias and discovery during aqua client acquisition i'm not sure that this that's a right place to cover that yet i i think a lot of companies uh, make a mistake in acquiring clients, uh, they acquire the wrong clients. They don't spend mm-hmm. enough time to find out what the real clients are, and companies have not communicated that well to their sales team. I think the mistake is where a lot of sales team it, uh, make is uh, making unnecessary compromises, discounting. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, we, the, our mission and purpose is to grow the business. So find as many clients as you can. So they, they look for clients, anyone who remotely seems to want their services, and they spend a lot of time on that. And I think that's where companies make their mistakes. They, don't, they mm-hmm. have no idea what their uh, mission and purpose is. They may even have one, but it's not clear and it's not valid. And they become aspirations and or they become platitudes and people have no idea what their corporate mission is. So they are not able to further those mission and purposes.
0: Yeah. And then you end up with clients that don't align who inevitably end up being happy. So you've you've done exactly what you guys try to prevent, which is you end up making a weak agreement. Um, And and because the mission doesn't align with your client, then that fizzles out. And that kind of brings us to the next step. So you work so hard to get a client. And then the next step is keeping them. How in creating strong agreements can we create longevity with our clients?
1: Give them everything they want. <laughs> just, just write a check, stick it in the back of every appeal every, uh, 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 they send you, and just say, hey, we're going to pay you to
2: have you as a customer. Isn't that how we do it?
0: <laughs> Easy enough.
2: <laughs> well, you, it's, we joke, but I consistently deal with executives who complain because they feel that their firm is what they call buying business. Mm. And why is that? Why would that ever be? yeah oh i you hear mean, all the time we gotta buy this business
1: <clears throat> because once they're ours we can raise our prices as though the client cannot just leave <clears throat> wow
0: yeah like it, it it's almost <laughs> like the, you, you're setting yourself up for failure from the beginning because you can't keep up with that so how do so so if your clients are, are commonly making this mistake, what do you think contributes to that thought or that, um, that kind of point of view?
2: Neediness. Very good question. Neediness is a simple answer. It's emo- human emotion. Human emotion. Needing clients? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So we steer. all need, no, I mean, we need clients. Let's oh, this is good. Sarah brings up a good point. There's a distinction between a need which is not really good or bad, it is real. Um, In business, to be resilient, we need certain things. And being needy, which is an emotion we feel related to that need. Neediness comes from a fear, right? It is a form of fear. And it is, um, it has an odor, (laughs) clients can smell it. We smell it when, when people approach us to sell us services related to what we do. It's very obvious. Um, I would say a, a consistent good outcome that comes from coaching that Al and I do is helping people manage their own neediness and learn that it's okay to have a need and not feel needy because that neediness bleeds into the preparation for a negotiation, the actual execution of the conversation, and then the decisions we make at the end. So that's what leads to things like buying business or getting into bad relationships in, in a business sense hoping that they'll get better. If we did that in our personal life, all our friends and families, you know, there'd be interventions. And we (laughs) consistently see executives get into bad relationships in business because they think tomorrow will be different. When, if they conducted proper discovery and actually set better boundaries in the very beginning, they would have healthy relationships.
0: Yeah. Alan, how do we how do we spot this in ourselves? How do we spot in ourselves when we're being media not true to our mission?
1: This is uh, actually one of the areas that Dan and I spend quite a bit of time with uh, with our students and our clients. This is this is where bias actually comes in. Okay, when we are retaining clients, sometimes we feel like, "Hey, they've been with us for a long time. They are not going anywhere. I hear all the time. They've been with us for eighteen years. They are not going anywhere within months." I'm hearing, they have decided to no longer send work to us, and they're thinking about moving to another uh, a supplier. Well, how come? Oh, you know what? There's so many bias going in, Sarah. Things like uh, uh, treating the, the counterparty, like uh, my, my client's account manager, maybe taking their account for granted, and uh, have decided to only take the guys out to lunch and ignoring all the female Uh, HR, uh, not HR, but the buyers to the point we're talking about millions of dollars worth of business here, a publicly traded company. You think they just, they act on, on rationality, right? Reason, right? No. Um, Basically, we had to have a meeting with all the executives basically saying, if you keep on doing this, we'll either fire you or we'll frustrate you until you fire us. The reason behind that? is your account manager is not sp- uh, spending time with the buyers and he's only spending time with the, the male engineers and he's just being dismissive with the, the female. And so these buyers come in and they don't even know they're doing it. So when we prepare and we we kinda look at what they're about to uh, meet with their clients for, understanding the mission and purpose, what they want to accomplish, the problems they're trying to solve, we can uncover some of these biases. And, uh, and the 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 mysterious thing about bias is, it's easier to spot in someone else than in ourselves. So the nature mm. of it is, just because you know about a bias, doesn't mean that we are free from it. We all have biases. The nature of how we do things is, these are shortcuts, and it has worked for us in a long time, okay? It's worked for us for a long time, and we think that it keeps us safe, and so in a very split second, we've made a decision and we don't even know that we have undermined ourselves.
0: Mm. The way and to that get out. impacts
2: our, resiliency. Yeah.
0: Yeah, com- uh, completely. I mean, you're you're blinded to it in a sense, too, which is why I asked the question, how do we spot this in ourselves? How do we know when we're um, preventing ourselves from making strong agreements? What are some key things that we can um be better at. Well, here's, an,
2: think, important here's an important thing. I think it's so thing. difficult.
1: That's why I go to Dan when I have yes, a difficult that, conversation that with sound. someone. I'll just say, "Hey, Dan, this is a situation," and he sometimes literally say, uh, "I don't. I, I think that's a that's your bias coming through, right. mm. um, And then it gives me the opportunity because I trust that Dan. I would listen and I'll go. Part of me still goes. I think you're wrong, Dan. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> i'm not gonna say it i'm just gonna think it and then and then then when i hang up i'm like well he might be right he might be right
2: so um, because i'm the bias expert of the two so i'm the one that recognizes all the bias so obviously i don't have any biases no i all the time i'm telling alan (laughs) i want to do this and he's like that might be your bias (laughs) and i'm like you're wrong and i hang up and then i text him yeah you're right You have to have some kind of a system and process in place. And the mark of professional, Sarah, is having external systems to manage our internal passions and biases. Because you can trust yourself too much as a leader or as an entrepreneur or as a business executive. And it happens... Go ahead. Sorry. You can
0: lean on yourself too much. Oh. You can think that you have all the answers. So if you don't have a good solid team of people around you that are willing to help realign you or call you on your own BS, then uh, you can yeah, you can get pretty deep in, mm-hmm. into yourself.
2: hmm You let miss
1: me share things. something you Let me share something interesting with you guys. Sure. Where there is an individual or even in a collective sense in a company, a company can actually have bias, okay? Uh, Dan and I are working on a book. We're, we're putting a final, final touches on it. There's a story where one of my client's supplier wouldn't work with my client for almost 10 years because of one bias, one bias. But if we look at it in a collective sense, think about this for a minute. Why do people gossip? Gossip and rumors is a way to tell people what it is that they're doing is wrong. The person that they're talking about have no idea the rest of the people in their community don't agree with them. Whether they have an HOA and they're raising chickens when the HOA said no raising chickens and they feel like I am special, I'm raising chickens because in case of Y2K or whatever, the, the world ends, I need to take care of myself. So everyone who has a bias, they have a justification for their behavior. Yeah. The rest of the world will say, that is so wrong and only the rest of the world can tell can see it clearly the person who is doing it uh i'm gonna i'm gonna tread on dangerous water here like adultery when people are cheating on their spouse or their girlfriend they think it's perfectly right but everyone else thinks it's wrong yeah that's the bias the bias feels like i'm doing this i'm justified i'm right everyone else sees that it may not be.
0: Yeah, justification. Justification is definitely the root of that. And I think it's such an interesting point you bring up that an entire organization can exist on a bias. Your mission statement could be bias and you could be starting from the beginning, creating weak agreements because your mission statement has bias embedded in it or your culture has bias embedded in it.
2: There's a second issue. Just look at... There's a second issue, hang on. Go ahead. So you can have a perfectly unbiased mission statement. And then there's this second trick. There's a second catch. And that is people have to consent. It's a really important element of negotiations as Alan and I teach it as a craft, is that you can have the perfect product, perfect service. You have a, a very valid mission. But if somebody else doesn't see it, or if they're not willing to commit to that and they're not willing to embrace it, you won't have a strong agreement and it will not be a resilient relationship. And so a lot of our work in negotiations is ensuring we have the right environment for people to tell us yes and mean yes and tell us no and mean no. And in sales, that's a really hard thing to do. Most sales trainers, most sales systems, most people that are engaged in selling, they don't wanna do that. You know, let's at least get... We're just pushing people to the funnel. Let's get them to the next stage. Like, then they'll make a good decision. Like, we want them to make a good decision as early as possible in negotiations. So, sorry. Alan, Yeah,
0: on. and to practice that, for sure. Because, um, like you said, it could be... Everything else could be set uh, in motion and be thought out really well, yeah, but then you can have free. someone who be bias-free who misapplies it yeah who misapplies um, you know their own biases or their own practices um, in the organization
1: so with resilience I feel like the key word is ad- adaptability absolutely just look at what happened to COVID either you adapted or you went out of business Yep. There were a lot of businesses that adapted and changed. So that's the, in order to, to, uh, to keep on reta- retaining clients, this goes into what is it that we know or we don't know? Maybe the client is not even sharing the information with us. How do you create the conditions for your clients to say, hey, Dan and Alan, things have changed how can you add value in the future direction of our company? If they don't tell you, that's because the value you delivered is no longer valid, and they have they do not see it anymore. They have no use for it. So they're moving in a new direction, and you're not part of that plan. Mm-hmm. So uncovering the vision, making sure you revisit the vision from time to time, and if there's anything they do not they have not told you, if you have a good way of cr- uh, creating discovery and doing discovery to find out what that is, great. It may be they are on purpose hiding it from you. and that's that means that something has gone wrong with the relationship. And what Dan and I yeah, do when they're silenced right. And what Dan and I do is to help people build long-term agreements. Are there short- term agreement type of negotiation that people people do? Yes. But Dan and I are not interested in coercion, manipulation, deception, lies, and using threats to get what we want, right? So if those are what people need, then we are not the type of coach and consultant for them. We are only interested in helping people build long-term agreements that doesn't
2: fall apart easily. And there's a really yeah. important reason for that. Because negotiation Go ahead, Dan. negotiation is a, it's a communication activity is a global skill so how you negotiate at work is going to be how you negotiate with your spouse and your kids and your friends and your parents it's gonna be how you negotiate with everyone and so if you built your system and your habits upon aggression and leverage and power we're not interested in being a part of that because we don't want to have to witness everything in your personal life being negotiated. And I'm sure people are like, oh, come on, it's a little overblown. No, it's not. I mean, it's the difference between saying, telling your kid, it's time to go to bed because I said, and it's time to go to bed and explain what's best, right? And get their consent and get them to so where you're not having to have the fight every night because eventually they can embrace it. They see it and they can embrace the benefits of going to bed on time. Um, it's a dangerous game to get on the continuum of violence and aggression and deception. But it's a it's very very tempting to do because it's easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and in um I love so much that you talked about that consent. It's 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 about creating a relationship and fostering an agreement in which both parties are equally consent consenting and um, mutually benefiting from Um, and I think this kind of goes into our next point I mean after you acquire a client and then you know you're focused on retaining them the next step would be hopefully that they don't stay the same that they grow and I think that's the next part of resilience or adaptation is that we don't fight to stay the same but we grow how do we grow our clients through the art of negotiation I know tell us
1: just give them all the discounts they're asking for (laughs) <laughs> yeah their coupons, bottom line coupons, will grow
0: more coupons got it
1: yeah um, if they ask us uh, to do more work we should just do it without uh, without charging for it that's the way
2: to grow clients
1: right am I wrong Dan I mean where my No, I'm absolutely
2: they will, they will definitely grow you will shrink <laughs> but they will grow and they'll love you until they don't until they get resentful and suspicious and leave you um the, the truth of the matter is, when you look at the natural world Sarah, there is no stay the same. You are always changing. You're either growing or you're shrinking. And that's the nature of business too. Um, it's also, interestingly enough, it's also the nature of human relationships. They're either being nurtured and they're flourishing or they're being neglected and they are withering. And, and all business is relationships. That's why negotiations is so powerful because it, it doesn't neglect relationships in the process of a transaction. It really, when you emphasize consent, you are nourishing the relationship. When you are encouraging people to say no, if that's what's best for them, then you can build strong agreements. If you're always pushing for yeses, you'll have really weak agreements. So in terms of client growth, it is this, it's capturing all the reasons why they decided to do business with you in the beginning, everything you promised to do in the beginning, and then honoring those commitments. If you are continually refreshing that honeymoon experience of having that new vendor and when they were like, I'll do anything for you, like if you are continually renewing that, that commitment, you have a very resilient relationship and they will continue to do business with you. What we find with our clients is when they're losing market share, when they're losing clients is because um they have allowed that commitment to suffer they're no longer producing the work or delivering the service in the same way that they were in the honeymoon phase Mm -hmm. so it's just like any relationship you got to put some time you got to invest some effort and some some you know some perspective back into the relationship send them flowers right alan (laughs) (laughs)
1: if if we do the growing part right if we do the growing part right Sarah then we have less to deal with in terms of uh, uh, retention so some companies have a retention department that's actually very troubling if you have a department only to deal with retention and and uh, I've hear people say "Uh, yeah I don't by the way I don't have cable but if you have cable and uh, you want to get a discount just tell them you're leaving and then they'll transfer you to a retention department and they'll say, how about we give you six months free? So, so people have learned that. And that's why I was just tongue in cheek earlier when I said, yeah, just give them discounts. Because a lot of times that's what companies do. If we give them a discount, we give them something free, then they will stay. What they have learned is you've been gouging us until I complain which is very similar to marriage, right? A lot of times, if you have a horrible marriage, until one party says, I'm leaving, the other person doesn't even try to do anything to maintain the relationship. The key thing is, if if you're growing, you want to continually doing discovery, um, understanding or able to see what their vision is for the future, and how can you bring value and add value to them moving forward in that mission and purpose of theirs. Uh, so even for me and my wife, occasionally, um, every year we talk about renewing our, what is the next uh, year look like? What's the next five year look like? And how are we going to plan there? What would it look uh, like? Where do we want to travel? And we've been married for almost 30 years. And so just constantly making sure that uh, we are looking into the future, painting that vision that uh, Dan was talking about, uh, it's key to marriage, it's key to our relationship with our kids, it's key to our relationship with our suppliers and our customers.
2: My thought, how, what's that look like in the corporate world? This is an exercise I'm going to challenge, Sarah, all your listeners and, and your viewers to, to do. And if you're, if you're in business, if you're, especially if you're a product or, or service delivery company, I want you to go to your, you know who they are, who's your best client? You know who they are it could be volume could be longevity it could be just the relationship you have with them but who's your best client go to them and ask them how close have you come to leaving us Hmm. and why and why did you stay you're still here and that's a fun conversation and now i want you to go to the last person that left you especially if it's been a few months and say, hey, you left us, how come? And by the way, maybe they told you right when they left, but don't be surprised if you get a different (laughs) answer six months later, because they feel safer to tell you. And uh, you should be be looking for those listening opportunities, those discovery opportunities, constantly with your existing clients, because you don't want to be surprised. You want to know right where you stand with them. And if they don't feel safe enough to tell you how you're not meeting their expectations, they're already gone it's just they haven't canceled the contract yet
0: Mm. so thinking back to so many different uh experience in business where you can feel it you can feel it in your your interactions whether it's like a monthly interaction or but you can feel when a relationship is starting to weaken it's interesting um it's interesting that you you post that challenge. I'd be really interested to try that with my own clients as well, um, um, to see what those answers are. And you're right, um, I've had people after the fact, later on down the road, give you a tip or give you a hint, and I never really attributed to what you just said, which is they might feel more comfortable after their separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so It's so interesting how Um, You guys have really uh, gone full circle here with with talking about negotiation as parents and relationships as parents, husbands, uh, businessmen, and how it all is is symbiotic. It all, the way that you show up at home in your relationships is the way that you show up at work. And I think... uh, I think sometimes there's this fear, there's kind of this hard nose approach to business. You need to be this way, or you need to be that way, or it's cut and dry. And, and I really think some of the best relationships are exactly what you're explaining. Open, consensual, um, fulfilling for both parties. Um, but, but why don't we see that encouraged as often, do you think?
1: Skill, skill. Mm. they don't have the skill to negotiate so what do they do they threaten what do Mm. they do they raise their voice what do they do they use leverage what do they do they manipulate what do they do coerce because they have had been they have been rejected in the past and have they have learned from experience if I yell I throw a temper tantrum I get what I want and it's true let me let me make this clear Those things work, Sarah. Mm -hmm. It works, but, but, it only works in the short term. When someone uses leverage on you or threaten you or throw a temper tantrum and you feel like, okay, I'll do it. What are you thinking right after that?
0: I can't wait to get out of this. Oh, she
1: knows. Yes, (laughs) you've you've always been in the class. So what happened is when you threaten your boss when you threaten your employees, when you threaten your partners, when you threaten your suppliers, what happened is, what am I gonna do to make sure I will never be in this position with you again? I'll tell you a story. Right during when COVID happened, I was helping clients in Asia, even before it came to the US, how to negotiate with suppliers to make sure that they had a strong relationship. They did not abuse their suppliers. Their competitors did, and they made the suppliers basically absorb all the losses. A year later is a suppliers world. because now there's a supply shortage, right? Right? Guess who is still getting stuff from the suppliers? so we we have to be very careful. We, it's like you you said earlier. In a business, you want to stay in the game as long as you can. It is what Simon Sinek talks about, the infinite game. That's exactly what Dan and I have been doing forever, building long-term agreements that doesn't fall apart. That's what we do. How to help people stay in business as long as they can, build long-term agreements of suppliers and customers, and even their employees.
2: It's the same. One of the most rewarding things that we do and i think one of the most valuable things we do for our clients is helping them see that um, negotiation is not a natural response to conflict um, the potential for um, a division of value that could be unfair right so we have these opportunities in business we have these opportunities in our personal lives to come to agreements with people and it's scary because people could take advantage of us. They could use leverage and power and authority. They can get super aggressive. They can make it emotional, right? And the natural response in those kinds of situations for human beings, because we are, biologically speaking, like we're, we're organisms, right? We are not naturally disposed to respond with negotiation. The natural response is there, there's more than fight and flight, but it, it's in that. It's fight, flight, flee, posture, right? surrender, those are all the natural responses that your, that your body will feel like it wants to do. But we train and we, we build habits with our clients where their actual natural response in aggression is to negotiate. It's to get curious about why somebody would feel it necessary to be very aggressive and use leverage and power to try to get what they want with us. And when, if you can build that habit in almost every situation in business, you can build stronger agreements with people because you can let the emotions fade, find out what's really going on and find the right solution for them. And guess who loves you then? It's pretty wild. The, The simplest analogy though, to help people understand the importance of this, the natural response, Sarah, if I was to toss you into the deep end, is for you to drown. But the skillful, valuable, and beautiful response would be to swim. And that's what mm-hmm. negotiation is. In, in In a in a deep pool, if you can negotiate, you can create some really cool stuff. So, yeah, and like further Alan further said, most people aren't skilled, and so they're going to bring the aggression. So that's why it's up to us to have good habits.
0: Yeah, to further your point, you you would swim, but only if you knew how. That's right. And this is the same. This is the same. If if we can teach ourselves to. Ask more questions to listen intently to be committed to relationships long terms through internal and external systems. Then we can build strong agreements that lead to longevity in business.
2: Yes, and full when circle. You guys have full circle. Nobody learns how to swim on YouTube or on.
0: YouTube. <laughs> you you learn a little bit, but you're not going to learn how not to. Not be able to do it. It's true yeah it's a stroke well and and you know what that's what I love about having conversations with um guys like you have who've been doing this so long is that you only learn through uh, application and through sometimes failing at it and getting better and I love that you guys bring that type of experience to the table you guys have shared so many great things but I do want to I do want to ask you this one last question if I could how are we accidentally creating weak agreements every day
2: We're avoiding no. I'll let Alan unpack that.
1: I think from what I have observed is that the reason we have weak agreements, Sarah, is we think about ourselves.
0: Mm. There's
1: a lot of negotiators who says, when you go into negotiation, know what you want. You've Mm. got to know what you want. We all know what we want. We don't have to think about it. The hardest part is to know what your counterparty really wants. Mm-hmm. Do you think in a, in a hostage situation, a ca- uh, the hostage taker just wants to take hostage? Do you think that in the morning when he went to the bank, he goes, I'm going to take hostages. That's my mission and purpose. That's what I'm going to do. My whole life is to take hostages. No, taking hostage was may Maybe a last resort. It may be something for they have to do in order to get what they really want. So what we need to learn is to find out what our counterparty really, really want. And that's easier said than done. Because if they don't feel safe with you, guess what? They They don't tell you.
2: It's that. Because we know so much what we want. And by the way, this is not evil. Like, I know so many great salespeople are like, look, I know I have the perfect product and service for them. And I want to make money and I get paid on commission anyhow. It's win-win, right? And so they push so hard to get a yes that they don't even consider the possibility of a no. They were afraid to be rejected. So they, they try to cut out opportunities for people to tell them no. Because what the, at the end of the day, what they want is for people to just say yes. In other words, I want you to embrace my proposal. That's it. When, it, as a negotiator, we would say, it, it's more valuable for you not to have them say yes, but to see what they really wanna say yes to, because then you can see if that fits, the t- if these are terms that are acceptable to you, and then you have a strong mm-hmm. agreement. But if the only thing they're willing to say yes to are the things you don't provide, or that if you provided, you provided a loss, or if you provided, you'd have to violate your own mission, right, your own values then it's beautiful because you can say, oh, hey, you're not for us and we're not for you and that's fine. And they'll probably refer people to you because that whole process was actually positive. Even though at the end it was, a the strong agreement was, let's not do business right now. So as negotiators, Ooh. we don't push for yes, we embrace the fact that people can tell us no and we see what actually they'd like to say yes to. And then occasionally we help them see what's possible. We create some vision. That's the only, this is where you have to be very careful not to be manipulative, but sometimes you can see that there is a bias for them, or they just, it's outside their experience, and you say, hey, what if, and there's some really powerful ways that respects consent to create discovery, it's probably like three more podcast episodes, so I'll just stop right there, but um, <laughs> where do people create weak agreements is they don't go through that process, they just push for, push for the yes, they're afraid for people to say no, and they hijack consent.
0: Wow! Yeah, I I love what I love what you've done here um, with that and and kind of hit on our connotation of no as a bad thing, Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's not a bad thing. In fact, it can be a very good thing uh, for both parties if you both consensually agree that you're not the right fit. But most people don't even get to the possibility of no because they view it as a negative thing.
1: No is actually. No no can be, uh, actually, there's many sides to it. I can talk a couple hours, but what, what people are afraid of, of no is they don't want to be that salesperson that people say no to and they're like, I hear you, but, and they keep on selling. And what it is is they do not know how to receive, embrace, and listen to a no. And they don't know how to truly turn that around instead of just arguing with someone They don't know how to embrace it. There is the the process of embracing a no, asking for a no and then embracing it, and recognizing and validating the no, that is the key to the ability of turning things around. What we are afraid of is being that very salesperson that goes, no, but, I hear what you're saying, but, that's annoying and people are afraid of that. And so when they hear no, they go, yes, okay, no. That, that was the end, boss. They said no. They did not know how to interpret the no and understand the underlying concern of that no. And there's actually an art and a process to how we handle that no.
0: Yeah, I there'll love another, that. And we can't learn enough. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, we can't learn enough in one podcast. Where does the but time go, listen- right? I did just, yeah. It really just went. It feels like we could go on this all day. I love this topic, and I love the value and education you guys have brought to our audience today. Tell our audience where can they connect with you? Where can they find out more?
2: Go ahead, Dan. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Connect to both of us. Twi-
0: LinkedIn Tinder.
2: LinkedIn Tinder. <laughs> There's no I am Tinder. T- great, t- it'll feel like <laughs> Tinder. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. Do you want to connect? Yes or no? You know. You want to block? <laughs> um, we, we are very active on LinkedIn. And from LinkedIn and beyond, we have what's called the negotiation tribe. That is our community of craftspeople. If you want to, it does not matter what level of experience and training you have. We have people that just stumble into the tribe and we, all the way up to police hostage negotiators and, and business negotiators and, and really accomplished salespeople. And we learn from each other and we study how humans decide and how we can t- build strong agreements that stand the test of time, they don't fall apart. So come on down, there's a lot of free events and there's a lot of free knowledge you can acquire. And the best part of the free is the connection to the community. And then from there, there's other ways you can make investments in time and money in coaching and consulting for you and for your culture. But just start there, just come and meet us and the tribe and see where it goes. The journey is kind of the reward really. For sure. What did I miss? Anything? No?
1: No. You got it. You got it all. You heard it here first. Well,
0: thank oh. you guys so much for uh, bringing such charisma and such education to this conversation today. Um, here's to everybody going and joining the the negotiation tribe. We all need to be better negotiation. Ne- we all need to be better negotiators, and we all want to make strong business agreements. So thank you guys for educating us this morning and for being part of B two B growth hacks. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks. This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.